Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Brent Kachuba from SpotGamut.com, where he breaks down the VIX and why it may not be the fear gauge we're all used to this year in 2023. Today's conversation was sparked by an article they posted recently titled, Get Used to VIX Up, Market Up. And I wanted to talk through that with him. I'm going to put a link to the article in the notes of this show or the description. So be sure to check that out where you can see some of the charts that illustrate some of the things we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. And be sure to listen to the end where we got on a little tangent about the effect of the newly introduced zero DTE options. Now let's get into the episode with Brent from spotgamma.com. Hey Brent, thanks for coming back on the show. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so let's just get right to it. You put out a great article over on the Spot Gamma website um, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. And I thought it was interesting because it had come up in my circles. And the general kind of theme was, um, well, the title of your article is Get Comfortable with VIX Up, Market Up. And that kind of goes against all the stuff we've learned, you know, especially when you look at CNBC and some of these places where you're like, you know, traditionally the VIX is the fear gauge. And yeah. your article really kind of broke down some things that changed maybe in, in 2022. That's kind of making it not, it may not be the fear gauge this year. And I wanted to just go through some of that. So can you first kind of just talk about, you know, as a refresher, what is the VIX and what is it supposed to do? Sure. So the VIX measures the implied volatility of all S&P 500. So it's SPX index options that expire within 30 days or less. So basically what happens is it looks at the price of the S&P 500 options, all options that have at least a bit of a nickel. So it looks at all the calls and all the puts. And as those values change, the VIX index changes as well. So you could think of it as a 30-day measure of implied volatility on the S&P 500. And as you know, when implied volatility goes up, uh, that's generally because people are buying put options, right? So as the demand for put options increases, the VIX goes higher, right? Because people are scared that the world's going to end or they want hedges or whatever it may be. So typically that's right. why you understand the VIX is a fear gauge is because there's demand for S&P 500 options. There's volatility in the market, which may increase the value of S&P 500 puts in particular. And that is why the VIX goes up. And this all ties back to the idea of skew and the idea that, you know, downside strikes have higher implied volatility and upside strikes. This is like basically puts have higher implied volatility than calls. And all that ties back into the 1987 crash, wherein no one ever cared about hedging huge moves to the downside. And then 1987, October changed everything. Hmm. Yeah. I wasn't trading them, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't either. I was, like, I heard about, I heard a little something about that. Yeah. That's funny. That's yeah. Funny. So 2022 was an interesting year, um, and you you point out some things in here, but just just from some context, you had written that the VIX in January of last year, actually right around this time, the VIX had hit an intraday high of 39, and I think the SPX was trading, or the S&P was trading um, around 4,700, and yeah. it, it dipped down to 4,200, so it was that January really kind of took off, but you know we're sitting here now in January of 2023, um, we're recording this on January 26th, right? And now the VIX, I think, is hitting. Uh, let me double check. Yeah, it's it's we're seeing an 18 handle. Just, just on broke the 19 VIX. this morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're but we're below 19. 
but the market is, you know, actually uh, lower or where it was, you know, um, in January of last year. So, you know, can you kind of help explain how the market can be at certain levels or different levels, I should say, and the VIX kind of be lower or at it's yeah. not, they're not relative like that. Sure. So what the VIX is really measuring is, and what implied volatility is measuring, is the amount of movement in the market that's specifically the S&P 500. So how much do traders think the market is going to move sort of in the next 30 days? And so there's this kind of cool uh, trick you can use called the rule of 16. And if you divide the price of VIX or implied volatility by 16, you can equate that to a, uh, a one day expected move in the S&P 500. So if you have the VIX at 16 and you divide that by 16, you get 1%. That, so that means that traders expect 1% daily moves in the S&P 500. Now, the amount of volatility that you may get on any given day is really irrespective of what the value of the S&P is. So in other words, you may have an expectation of 1% moves if the S&P is at 5,000 or if the S&P is at 1,000, right? Um, and that, you know, that volatility or how much movement traders are expecting is just a percentage basis. So if you expect a 1% move on the SP at 5,000, then that's a 50 point move. Uh, whereas if you look for a 1% move when the SP is at obviously 1,000, then you're getting a 10 point move. So that's why the, the VIX isn't really, you know, changes relative to the, to the price of the S&P 500. And now the, you know, the reason that we have lower implied volatility today is a function of a few different things. I think, the prevailing sentiment is that what people did over the last year is they degrowth. So they sold their assets rather than try to hedge them. And the difference is that if I had a portfolio of, you know, a hundred million dollars in long stocks and I don't want to sell those stocks, but I'm worried about the market going down, then I'm going to buy puts to, to hedge. And what happened over the last year with interest rates rising and the like was that, look, I don't, whatever's going to happen in the future is a different you know, environment now, rates are going higher. I don't want to own these equities anymore. I'm just selling them. So I'm not going to bother hedging them. I'm just going to sell everything and then I don't have anything else to hedge. And so when you don't have anything to hedge, there's no demand to buy puts. And and that's why you get, you know, basically the, the VIX rolling lower. Now the VIX held the 20 area, 20 to 25 really throughout most of the year because there was so much volatility in the market. And the way that you can compare that, and this ties in the article, is if you look at what we call historical or realized volatility, and that's a measurement, and you can look this up on a couple of different places on the web. We have one at Spot Gamma, a measurement of it, but basically it shows you how, how much has the market moved over the last 30 days. And if you look at it now, it's roughly the volatility level is a, roughly a 20, right? And you can compare that more or less apples to apples to the VIX, which is currently at 18. And so what, what's happening is now is that the market says, look, over the last 30 days, we average a, again, realized vols 20, rule 16, you're getting roughly a one and a half percent move a day, somewhere in there. And if you compare that to the VIX going forward, traders are saying, look, going forward, we think that implied volatility is, is basically going to be a little over 1% a day. So what traders are now seeing is this shift in regime of, yeah, we had higher volatility over the last couple of days with average moves of, let's say, one and a quarter percent. But going forward with the VIX at 18, what it's telling you is that like, hey, uh, we think volatility is going to be lower than we've been getting. That oftentimes is associated with, with market bottoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, we, we think it may be flagging a, a market top and we can get in that now if you want, or if you want to finish up sort of some of the calculations, I know I kind of jumped ahead on you. No, 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 no. It's good. This is good stuff. Obviously interest rates have affected the market and interest rates that I don't forget what it is, five or 6% or something right now. Uh, there, there has been reduced equity exposure. So what you're saying is when you reduce your equity or rotate into other 
assets, then you may not need uh, as many put options. So when people de-risk like that, what are some of the things that they rotate into, do you think? I mean, I think the obvious, the obvious position is, is into bonds, um, particularly treasury bonds. And then, you know, I think there's also just a lot of cash. There may have been some redemptions and, and only that, I think, you know, a, a lot of stocks just got completely wiped over the last, you know, year. So even though the S&P is only down, what, 15% maybe, uh, which is bad, but, you know, you look at the Dow, the Dow is actually only down, I think, last time I checked around 7% off of the Jan highs. Um, and so, mm-hmm. I think there's a big equity rotation under the surface where it's like, hey, I'm not going to own Apple, NVIDIA, you know, Tesla anymore. I want to own Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan, and, uh, you know, like Aflac or Pfizer or whatever. So there's definitely an equity rotation. That's part of what the article talks about is that it's this idea of correlation. Uh, and what's interesting about the idea of correlation is that generally what happens in times of great fear and turmoil is that you sell everything, right? If you look at March of 2020, for example, when, when for better or worse, we all thought the world was maybe coming to an end, right? Mm, yeah. And in that situation, whatever the stock you had was, you sold it, right? You sold everything. You sold your S&P funds, you sold your Pfizer, you sold your Tesla, you sold your everything. And what that meant is everything crashed in unison, essentially, right? And And we would call that a correlation of one in the market, which means that essentially every stock goes down you know equally yeah. and in this case what's happened is because of this rotation that we've been talking about correlation has actually been uh, not in sync it's actually been rising as some of these stocks have been coming down what, and what that basically is telling us is like yes people are selling apple and they're selling nvidia and those stocks are getting beat up but when you look at mcdonald's or merck those stocks are at all-time highs so there's yeah. clearly people are buying equities they're just buying very specific equities and that all ties back into the the kind of macro environment or the macro regime and and that ties into volatility and in, in, in the vix is in because you know if you are scared that we're going to get a COVID crash or a, a nuke, God forbid, going off or whatever it is, then you're going to buy puts on the S&P 500 because it's going to protect your whole portfolio, right? You're betting on a market crash. And in this case, if you buy puts in the S&P 500, that may be only partially hedgy because in this environment, McDonald's could keep doing pretty well and Merck could keep doing well and these good high paying dividend stocks could keep doing well, but Apple may continue to go down. And so there's also, I think the value of just buying an S&P put may not actually hedge out your portfolio now because that correlation is, is breaking down. Yeah, I was going to ask you um, about that because you you had a, there was a chart in the article that talked about the CBOE one month correlation index. And what I'm hearing is there's a rotation into, you know, quote unquote, blue chips or I don't know, I yeah. guess non interest rate sensitive. I think you mentioned that in the article too, stuff that's not as sensitive to interest rates. Are you seeing, I know Spot Gamma has a, a, a lot of tools when it comes to, comes to options analysis on individual stocks and stuff. So even though the VIX is you know somewhat muted here, are you still seeing protection being bought on individual names? Is that where maybe some of that uh, hedging is going so that we don't, it doesn't actually show up in the VIX? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And, and my answer in general to that is no. Um, you, you can actually look at the VIX. There's VIX on Amazon. There's VIX on Apple. And, and those were popping up a little bit. But I think what has happened, what, what you can see over the last couple of days, and again, this is Thursday, January 26th, as you said, over the last couple of days, the, the Qs, the NASDAQ is up, I think, what, 8% uh, from the start of the year and certain stocks like NVIDIA. And, and basically all the stuff that had been beaten up the worst over the last year is just on a tear. And what you're seeing there is actually a lot of call buying 
in those names, it's like a chase right now, right? I think those stocks had been just crushed so much that they, they just kind of were, a lot of them were just sort of dead. Like you don't see new put positions coming in, but up until sort of this recently, we didn't really see people wanting to buy calls and get long in those names either. And so I think what is really setting up here is that people aren't, people don't seem to care about playing the downside here, but they don't want to miss the upside. And what that means is that you're going to buy calls in those situations to not only catch like equity rallies, but also stock rallies, right? And so that's why the NASDAQ is up, I think, so much relative to the S&P and even the Dow over the last few days. Um, and there seems to be more of this theme of like trying to catch the bottom as opposed to like worried about more downside at this moment. Um, and Yeah. So do you think with that thesis that uh, you mentioned in the article, right tail chase, where yeah. basically – if you're if you don't have enough equity exposure in names like Apple, Nvidia, those you know, Amazon. So, side note, I've been accumulating Amazon and I'm still down, but I've been <laughs> selling. I've been selling covered calls. I'm trying to recover, so I'm I'm hanging on for the day that it, it gets back up above 100. But uh, anyway, um, with the right tail risk and purchasing the call options, do you think that the options market will be more of a driver this year when it comes to that upside? Because I know we've talked about how when you know a ton of call options are being bought, the dealers end up having to hedge themselves by buying stock. Do you think that that scenario, that is that part of the right tail chase that we might yeah. see this year? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the options market, the size of the options market is now, you know, every month is like a new record in volume. And the same is not true for stock volumes. Like stock volumes are okay. Equity, E-mini liquidity, that's the futures liquidity is poor. But options volumes are larger than they've ever been. And I read that as the options market having much more relative impact than, say, you know, last year or two years ago, three or four years ago, whatever it may be. Mm. And the the idea of the right tail risk, I think, is an important one because what that basically is is the risk of missing a rally, right? So left tails when the market's going to crash and you, you want to hedge yourself. And that's the, the – if you talk about a tail risk fund, that's what typically people are hedging is that tail risk, right? But the, the right tail is a major risk for – really for investment professionals. If the market goes down, and this is something that my friend Darius, you know, mentioned and it was such a valid point. It's like if the market goes down and you're a hedge fund trader or kind of a, an asset manager and, you know, you lose some money, you're probably not going to lose your job, right? But if the market goes up 10% and you didn't make any money and you missed, particularly in this environment, you can lose your job, right? And so I think right. there's this still... <laughs> You know, like I think you or me sit here and be like, well, I missed the rally, like whatever, I don't care. But yeah, the, I'll live. the bigger environment, it is missing out on that is is a real thing. And the in the way that you hedge that is by buying calls. And so this ties into the article and the idea of get ready for the VIX up, market up. And and I toyed around with the idea of like the VIX is going to be a volatility indicator now, not a fear gauge. Someone else said it's the no fear gauge now, which I thought was kind of funny because just in the same way that you could buy S&P 500 puts and that will drive the, the price of the VIX up, uh, you could drive, you could buy calls, right? And if you buy enough calls, then the VIX will also rise because the VIX doesn't care ultimately whether you're buying puts or calls. It's just a formula. Right. And the input into that is both puts and calls. And so if there's enough demand in calls, you can get, you know, I don't think you're going to get like VIX 80 necessarily off of call buying. I mean, you never say never with this stuff, but yeah. you'll get this kind of more idiosyncratic days where, you know, 
particularly we've seen it like into CPI happen last week. And I suspect we may even see it into FOMC on, on Tuesday and Wednesday where the VIX is up with the markets up because you don't want to miss that right tail. So there is call buying demand to make sure, Hey, I need to own some calls in case the Fed says no more hikes and we gap up 5%. Um, right. I need to have some of that exposure on. And so this is sort of the ultimate point of the article here is that. What you could end up seeing happen is that correlation shifts to one when the Fed pulls back and, and traders think they have the all clear because all stocks are going to go up in unison, right? Just like the idea that when the COVID crash hits or, or a bomb goes off, everyone sells everything. Mm-hmm. Well, there's going to be this rush and implied vol is going to jump when the market goes up, which is counterintuitive to what, what most people believe. And, you know, there will be this, you know, I, I think just be these bouts of large chases. And now the, the problem is with that is that. As you know, the biggest rally occur rallies occur during the context of bear markets, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the rip off of market lows is always the most violent kind of largest rallies that you have. And I think that when you get these rallies where implied vol is going up, i.e. the VIX is going up at the same time the market's going up, you're gonna get overextended rallies, kind of like what we saw on Monday, where you know, NVIDIA and AMD and all these stocks are up seven, eight, nine, ten percent, right? And then the next day it all pukes and it all comes right back because the flow is being driven off of call buying and dealers buying stock in this chase. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, it outchases like the fundamental bid in a way. Right. And right. so, yeah, we'll rip five to 10%, which are unbelievable upside returns, but then we puke and give half, if not all of that back as we did on Tuesday. Um, you know, we give it all back because this options buying is, is, is a chase and, you know, short cover rallies is essentially almost in a way what that is. Um, they're not stable. They tend to mean revert very quickly and you need to be very, you know, I think light on your feet if you're a trader in, in allocating and trading in those markets. And in other words, when you see VIX up, market up, like enjoy the ride, but, but it's musical chairs. Like you don't, you, you want, you know, you want to take advantage, roll your positions out and up, uh, you know, risk manage those effectively. Um, don't get yeah. below those positions. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I'm thinking back to, um, years past where, you know, and I used to do this with bonds and there used to be, there'd be pockets of time where there are certain correlations that sort of lock in. And it's like the, the biggest example is probably like, uh, the Fed printing money, the U.S. dollar is going down and stocks are going up and you have that inverse correlation um, that that's happened. And, and in the past, when you would see the VIX up and the market up or maybe bonds up and the market up, there was a saying it's like, hey, bonds are always right or something mm. like that. And there was yeah. there, there used to be this inverse correlation. And so I think this is important to understand all this, is w- which is why I want to bring you on. So now when we see the VIX up, market up, that doesn't necessarily mean that the VIX is right or the, the market is going to puke or whatever. It, it, it just means that the potential that it's actually call buying, I think, is greater now than exactly. it was in the past. Because before, no one ever, I, I mean, I never even heard that call buying could keep the VIX green. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, that just wasn't a thing in the past. I mean, I knew technically that was possible, but that just uh, wasn't a thing. Let me ask you one more question before we wrap it up. I want to briefly touch on zero DTE. I think that's <laughs> is coming out with that does zero day options are those part of the vix calculation too or is that something that's separate do you think some of that um hedging has been shifted forward to shorter durations or do you think there's any effect on the vix versus all this new zero dte options i mean it, it they go into the calculation i think um but 
I, I don't think that it has a huge impact, material impact on the VIX. Okay. And, you know, there's people out there who say, you know, the VIX is not relevant anymore. And you got to look at like the VIX nine day, which is the symbols of VIX and nine, VIX, the number nine and then D. Yeah. Cause it's shorter duration and all that. And, you know, I, I do think that, I mean, the, the zero DT thing is a fascinating, um, event or, or, um, trying to think of the right term for it. Yeah. Phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, we actually wrote about it today. And if you go to zero hedge, they posted our article about it today. And, and what's so interesting about it is yesterday, you know, the, the market was down because Microsoft, uh, earnings weren't that great. And we traded down to 3950 and, and we based there. And then the market just ripped higher back all the way up to 4020. So it was a huge volatility day of volatility. And a lot of that was very, seemed very clearly driven by zero DTE options. So those are options that expire on the same day. Those were 49% of total S&P index options, which wow. we calculated was the fifth highest uh, in the past year. So I, I think that's, I mean, it, the numbers, how you measure it gets a little bit wonky, but, but that's basically like the fifth highest all time. Yeah. And so, you know, th these flows, particularly in these days where there's not, you know, like, I don't think zero TT is going to be a big flow next week when the Fed goes off, right? But there's these pre-Fed days or pre-event days where not much is going on. And I think you get, I don't want to call it gamification in the market, but, it, but it certainly appears that, that way. And it's, it's from a range of players, which is interesting, but, um, there is this focus on zero DTE and how important it is and, and the VIX isn't relevant anymore and no one cares. And, and there's this hyper focus right now on what is happening in the market, you know, like, which kind of almost equates to gambling or like high frequency trading, which, which to me almost signifies kind of a broken market in a way. Mm. And what I mean by that is, you know, saying that the VIX will never be relevant again because anything that matters is just zero DTE. It's just a function of the fact that, I think people aren't sure about rates. And so the bigger players haven't come into the market. And, and once the Fed sort of says we're done and people can then adjust to forward interest rates, I think things will settle back down and zero DDE will calm down and people adjust more to like a historical, uh, the way that we've historically traded, if that, if that makes a little bit more sense. In other words, like things will be yeah. frenetic. Right now, everything's so frenetic because there's this chase on for momentum day trading and I just think by and large people come out and they make these, you know, like fix is no longer relevant. I don't care about that. And everything, only thing that matters is zero DT. And I think that's like a very short-sighted, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, in the way. Well, they're going to have to come out with a VIX, a VIX three or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's so funny. It's like, and then what's the exchange yeah. going to offer like midday expirations because there's all these volumes there. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's like, it, you know, it's like the, the organism is feeding on itself if we keep going yeah. this direction. But I, I think once the Fed pauses and just says, look, we're done raising rates now, or there's going to be one more hike or whatever it is, then suddenly like it, it, it opens up the investment universe because you could feel, sort of like factor everything in a little bit better. Like if you don't know if there's 10 more hikes or 15 more hikes, then like you don't know what the value of cash flows are. You don't know if you want to continue opening, owning bonds. You don't know if you want to own tech stocks or, you know, dividend stocks because that, interest rate really controls everything. And so, yeah. you know, I think that has forced everyone to be very short-sighted because that's the only game in town. Like I, I'm not going to allocate bigger funds six months or a year away or whatever it may be, because I don't know what the fundamental driver is of, of the economy, which is these interest rates. Right. So um, I, I think the zero DT thing is just symptomatic of the uncertainty around the fed. And, and the best way to look at that is the move index, which is the bond volatility index, the bond VIX. And, and you can see that still remains very, very high. And that's tied to this uncertainty around interest rates. So you can see that come off. And then I think one more thing, I know we got to really wrap it up here, but this article we wrote yesterday sort of links all this together is that there's these weird zero DTE volume spikes right after 
treasury auctions, it seems like. And it, and it happened again today. It happened in big form yesterday where there were these really good treasury auctions. Uh, I mean, there's really big demand at various interest rates in the five-year bond. And I think today was a seven-year. And that suggests that there's big demand for these bonds at current yields, which suggests that you know, the Fed is, might be done. At least that's what the bond market is telling us, right? Because yeah. you don't buy a five-year bond if you think rates are going to go up another 75 bips next meeting. Right. What happened is that those auctions go off with big demand and then all of a sudden the zero DD S&P equity volume surges in and the market rips. Um, it, it's really it's really this fascinating phenomenon. And like I said, if you're interested in that, you could you can go to spotgamma.com and read about that. You can check it out. It was a zero hedge kind of poster or charts around that today. But the, the tie in here is that these zero DTEs are coming in now after almost like headline effects. And mm-hmm. the issue with these are is that, you know, if you just buy futures uh, as a way to hedge yourself, well, you buy the futures and the exposures gone, right, for your counterparty. But if you buy a whole bunch of zero DT calls, as you know, there's the initial hedge that the market maker, the dealer has to put on, right? But then mm-hmm. as the market goes higher, you have to continuously buy stock to remain hedged, right? So it's not, you know, if someone buys a, a, a one Delta product like a futures, well, I'll hedge it and I'm done because, you know, uh, my exposure isn't going to change. But if I buy a bunch of calls, right, and those calls are 1% on the money right now, I got to start buying stock as the market goes up or buy futures as the market goes up. So the zero DTE, what's so interesting about it is that it forces a hedging obligation, continuous hedging obligation on a counterparty. And that has to be very actively hedged because it expires at the end of the day, right? Yeah. It's- Buying calls that expired a year out, well, you can hedge it a little bit and then, you know, you have some room to wait and see what happens. But the zero DT inflicts volatility because of the fact that they have to be so actively hedged because, you know, they expire at the end of the day. And so the value of your portfolio or whatever it may be really adjusts violently as the, as the market moves around. So it's, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure all of that is like automated. They know, there's got to be some arbitrage happening in there because, yeah. you know, because by the time, I mean, there's not a person going, Hey, how many deltas just got bought? It's like, there's a there's a system that's that's monitoring that and they have well wow. yeah and I, and I think it's a variety of players too I mean I think everyone wants to pin it on you know one any type doing one specific trade but you know there there's you know retail guys like you and me playing around in these things there's uh certainly I think various market makers playing different games I think there's uh, the quant shops have been quoted as playing these things like the aqrs of the world so yeah. I think there are a variety of players and, and ultimately the risk is that you know even if the the biggest players are using zero DT as a way to hedge their portfolio in the very short term. Well, like if, if market maker A is going out and buying a bunch of calls to hedge themselves for today, well, someone's selling them that calls, right? And maybe that person doesn't want that exposure. Maybe that really sort of shifts their exposure. And so, you know, this has, this is what the concern with this is, is like it has the potential to really upset the apple cart, right? And, and really make volatility, you know, swing violently one way or the other. Um, I don't, you know, it's not, it's one of those things where like, it doesn't matter until all of a sudden it matters. And then, you know, you get like a, a flash crash kind of thing. Right. Because, right. Of, and, and that's kind of the embedded risk. Like you don't want to sit here and bet on zero D doing that, but as long as half of the S and P volume is zero DT, then, you know, that risk is always going to be kind of lurking. Wow. This is great stuff. I'm going to put, uh, both those articles, um, in the description of the podcast for, for listeners to go check those, uh, check those out. Um, I really appreciate you coming back on. It's, it's always fun talking to you and uh, hope we can do it again soon, man. Anytime, Eric. I appreciate it so much. 